Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber White. Hey guys, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in today to another episode. I really appreciate you being here. Do you want to share your story or do you know someone else who does? If so, there are plenty of ways to reach me. You can find me on Facebook at The Art of Adoption Podcast or on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can also email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com or listen anywhere you already listen to podcasts or by going to www.artofadoptionpod.com. If you want to leave a comment or have a question about anything, you can leave a message by calling 720-722-2839, and you may hear your question answered on the show. I know one thing for sure. We are going to jump right in today. Um, today's guest is an adoptive mother from the Bay Area. And from the time she was just a girl, she had always dreamed of adopting lots of babies from all over. So let's hear how her story turned out. This is Missy. I live in San Francisco right now. I grew up in Las Vegas, but we've been here in the Bay Area for the last 11 years. Right now, I have a 14-year-old biological son. I have a 10-year-old daughter, a biological daughter, and a 6-year-old who we fostered and adopted named Brendan. He was placed with us when he was 6 months old. We started the process a long time before that and had a few phone calls before him, and he was placed September 27th. 2012, and we adopted him officially September 27, 2013. Before Missy and her husband got married, that was actually not the plan, at least not Missy's plan. (laughs) Before we got married, we didn't have very much counseling, and we didn't talk very much about our family plans, except for once I said, let's adopt all of our children. And he said... We should talk about that because I would like us to also work some. And I was like, no, I think we're good. I think we'll just adopt them all. And then we didn't really talk about it again. Missy and her husband were married in 2002. And a year later, they got a tiny growing surprise. Then we were surprised with our first pregnancy, which was exciting. And then I really started to kind of play about it and be open to whatever God's timing and plan was for our family. Her first son was born in 2004, and then her daughter a few years later in 2007. I always wanted to adopt a whole bunch of children from everywhere, but our story ended up starting with two biological children, which we're thankful for. Even though Missy was thrilled at her budding family, and her hubby was too, she still couldn't shake the desire to adopt. That dream was still in my heart, and it was less so in my husband's heart. That's a tricky thing because there's not really a middle ground. There's not a compromise on 
my dream is to grow our family this way and his dream is to not. And so we had a lot of good conversations, hard conversations about dreams. And I mean, I didn't want to feel like he was not allowing me to pursue this dream. And he didn't want to feel like I was forcing him to pursue something that would lead to resentment on either end. So we really had to both kind of go through a heart change. I ended up waiting 10 years before we started the adoption process. It was 10 years after we'd been married. And he ended up needing a couple of years in there to come around to wanting to do it, to having it become his dream as well. It's all for you. It's all for you. It's all for you. I asked Missy how she got through those 10 years with patience and understanding, all while having this tugging on her heart. Well, life was happening. <laughs> we had two other children, church stuff and moves and pets and homes. So yeah, it was always there and it would surface up and we'd talk about it a little and then it would get put on the back burner. I've like kept magazine articles and things about adoption since I was probably like 13 or you know, dreams look a little different when <laughs> when they get played out. Missy and her husband are Christians. As a matter of fact, her husband is a pastor. So it's no surprise that they lean into their faith for comfort, wisdom, and understanding. Missy sent me a piece of literature that she read that resonated with her through the entire process. And it's from one of her favorite authors named Katie Davis. And it reads, Remember, God will never give you more than you can handle. People repeat this frequently. I heard it when I was growing up, and I hear it now. It is meant to be a source of encouragement, and it would be if I believed it were true. But I don't. I believe that God totally, absolutely, intentionally gives us more than we can handle, because this is when we surrender to Him and He takes over, proving Himself by doing the impossible in our lives. I have learned to accept it, even ask for it, this more than I can handle. Because in these times, God's shown himself victorious. He reminds me that all of this life requires more of him and less of me. God does give us more than we can handle, not maliciously, but intentionally in love, that his glory may be displayed, that we may have no doubt of who is in control, that people may see his grace and faithfulness shining through our lives. And again, that is by author Katie Davis. And I think the takeaway from this passage in Missy's case is that timing is everything. I don't think the timing was right. And it helps me to think that our child, Brendan, was not even born yet. So all the tears and prayers and conversations we had before that, you know, like, our child wasn't ready for us as much as we weren't ready for home. So I feel like there were many, many years where we talked about future child, you know, when we slowly started talking with people when we started this process and we always talked about future child, future child, when he or she is with us, now that's like long in the past. So what did finally starting the process actually look like for Missy and her husband? 
So I really thought we'd always adopt abroad, but as we talked to different people and as we finally settled on the agency we wanted to use in our area, they primarily do fostering to adopt. So that's why we ended up going with them because they were local and we trusted them and had a really good relationship with this organization. But we didn't know how that would look because I always felt if we adopted abroad, then finalization is more final. There's more of a separation, I guess. So choosing to adopt really from our backyard looks a little different. As she said, Brendan was placed with them when he was six months old. Most of the time, kids are removed from their home and placed in foster care due to abuse or neglect. The agency or county will always ask family members to foster before going outside of the family. A lot of times, no families are able or willing, which then adds another layer of devastation for those biological family members who end up losing their grandchild or niece or nephew through no fault of their own. Luckily for Brendan's family, Missy and her husband have allowed them to continue to be in his life. Brendan's birth parents had drug problems. That's why he was removed. He was exposed to a number of things in utero. But his biological grandparents were very involved and very interested in having a relationship with him. They came to all of the court-mandated visitations throughout that year that we had had when we were foster parents. And we decided a few months after our adoption was finalized that we, we felt that relationship was really important to continue. And we were willing to kind of just take one step at a time within some boundaries that we set to just get to know them. And really every interaction with them has been really positive. So it's primarily a biological father's parents and biological father as well is in his life. They've also had contact with his birth mother as well. Every couple of months, they will meet up and do lunch at the park or something similar to that. And they are now six years in and they continue to see what a gift that has been for Brendan, although she's not sure if he understands that relationship quite yet. He actually has half siblings on his biological mother's side as well. I asked about any contact there. We weren't quite comfortable right now with having that Facebook connection with her or even as much personal contact because it seems like she's maybe still working through some things. But I, I do want to see that in the future. I, w- I would like for him to know those half-siblings. I think right now it'd be kind of confusing. But at some point, I'm glad that they have a desire to connect and want to know him. Right now, he's just happy that he has an extra set of grandparents because he gets you know, extra presents on his birthday. And actually, parents have have kind of adopted my kids as well. They they bring gifts for all three of my kids and want to support them and love them and know them. And it's really cute. They love Brendan, but they also, I think they really love our other two as well. It's been super beautiful for us. And I think for him, too, that he has knowledge of how loved he is by all these different people. You know, we'll always tell him how loved he's always been. But I think for him to see that extra support and extra love is 
I don't know, I think that's valuable. I think, how do we adopt it abroad? You know, there would be that piece missing. I feel like he would maybe always wonder what his grandparents or whoever was like. So I'm thankful that he can have some of his questions answered just by knowing them. As I've said one billion times before, the process is overwhelming, even just leading up to getting approved for an adoption. And everyone tackles it a little differently. So I think for us to break it down into manageable steps helped to say this month we're going to talk with three families we know who've adopted. And next month we're going to go to the county class or talk to Bethany. By Bethany, she means Bethany Christian Services. From their website, www.bethany.org, they state, Bethany Christian Services is a global nonprofit organization that brings families together and keeps families together. Strengthening families for the well-being of children is our top priority. Our services include adoption, foster care, and pregnancy counseling. We also provide counseling to families, assist refugees and immigrants resettling in the U.S., and partner with several international countries to help keep families together. The work we do equips families to be the answer for children in need. We did a number of sort of research <laughs> months to gather our information. And one of the things on our list was our church partners with an organization called Help One Child. And they mainly do fostering. In fact, right now we're doing like a foster support group for kind of people in our situation a few years maybe into it who are you know, still have unique struggles and we kind of are able to lean on each other. So they do a lot of foster support, support for foster families. But when I talked to them, she said, well, if your main goal is to grow your family, not just foster, but you, your end goal is adoption, which it was, she said, we found a talk today that hand-in-hand foundation. And what's great about them is that he worked with all the counties all around us. So it wasn't just our one county that we lived in. It was a number of counties that he was connected to and meeting with to try to get the right matches. Missy and her husband worked with a man named Dave, who really guided them through the process and helped ease their anxieties, especially around the matching process. He helped them understand that it's okay to say no if it didn't feel right. But I really appreciated his long-term view of having a match be great on both sides. He really seemed to hear us. And I think that was really important to my husband, to be heard and understood. It kind of felt through the county like that wasn't the case. There's such a hurry and need to just place kids that maybe sometimes the family's needs aren't as considered as much. Maybe that's not true because we didn't go all the way through with the county, but our understanding was that there's such a need to put kids anywhere, whereas this organization really wanted to hear us and make sure that we were comfortable with each step. When you commit to being a foster home, the entire family is committed. So I asked her how her children felt about fostering. Our kids were super excited. Our kids at the time were four and eight. I had read a little bit about birth order. I wasn't totally stuck on it. But we kind of wanted to adopt someone younger than our four-year-old. They had lots of really deep thoughts. It was neat to hear them talk about 
their hopes and their dreams and their prayers even. They always prayed for future brother and sister. It was really beautiful to just see them be open to doing something, especially that might not turn into adoption. Because we talked a lot about how if we foster, we might just have an opportunity to love someone and it might just be for a season. And so I think they had to kind of wrap their little little heads around, we're going to love whoever's placed with us, like a brother or like a sister, even if they're only with us for a, a short time. But then when we were able to adopt Brendan, I think we all let out like a big sigh of relief. We were, I wouldn't say guarded. I mean, we loved him from the get-go. So I think we were all somewhat anxiously hopeful that the outcome would be that he would be ours forever. But yeah, they were excited. My extended family, our extended family was great and very supportive. None of them live close. That was a little hard, but they all are very excited about our journey. Having a support system is a must. So I asked what they did to obtain that with their family being so far away. Well, we kind of intentionally found five people we wanted to lean into to ask for help. And those people helped us a lot early on. Anybody who had been through an adoption process was quick to jump in with gifts, with helping us, especially since we had to figure out these court dates and these family visitations. It kind of threw our year into a lot of chaos. <laughs> so I think I'm especially thankful for the people who were willing to pick up our other kids from school or take them to practice because now we had a child who who was napping again and had had such inconsistency that, you know, he had no routine to sort of fall back into. So we were trying to create those for him and thankfully, we had people come alongside us. When you start a new journey, any journey, it can be a daunting task, not knowing what to expect. I think it's heightened in foster care because you are now the sole caretaker and provider for a person who most likely experienced trauma and abuse or neglect at the hands of someone else, which can lead to a whole slew of different things that you may not understand or know how to tackle. Missy really found peace and understanding, not only in leaning into her faith, but also in this quote, again by the author, Katie Davis. I can't see the end of the road, but here is the great part. Courage is not about knowing the path. It is about taking the first step. A lot of people said, oh, I could never do that, or I would never do that. And I think what surprised me is that I think God calls us to things that are really hard and beyond us and are beyond what I even think I can do, but they're not beyond what he can do. And I think that's it. I felt out of my comfort zone and kind of beyond what I felt totally able to do. But it was great because it put me in a constant state of prayer and faith and need to ask for help because it was so beyond me. 
But I think that that's it, just knowing that we can do hard things that seem so much bigger than us and so much beyond our capabilities. And really, there's no guarantee with your birth children either. Every child has their different needs. I asked Missy what she would change in the process if she had the power to do so. I don't know that I would change anything. You know, we had, I called it our firehouse meeting, our meeting where we met with basically the social worker for him, the social worker for mom, social worker for dad, social worker from the county, and our agency person. And they gave us all the information. And on paper, you know, he looked kind of like a mess. But he wasn't. He was, as soon as he was in our arms, he was just a baby who had needs like any other baby. The process, though, was hard. They said, well, we need somebody in this county because he has visits with biological mom and dad three times a week. And I thought, oh, maybe visitations are once a week. They were three times a week, right? at the most inconvenient time. And so our whole world was turned upside down for like six months trying to get this kid to these meetings. And then they had the first court date where nothing really even came out of it. It was just sort of an extension of it. Finally, we got to the termination hearing. And even then, I think it's four months or there's a certain number of days before that's closed. And I was just like, why? (laughs) What is this here for? The things that we had to go through, I thought, well, this is a ridiculous process. But I mean, that was all stuff we had no control over. We just had to step through each step as it was given. It is my understanding that there is a waiting period when they terminate the parents' rights because they are making sure that there's not another family member who wants to adopt the child first. In a lot of cases, they will ask family first before allowing a non-kin foster parent to legally adopt a child, even if that child has been with that foster family the entire time. However, the courts will consider that in their final decision-making, especially when they see how involved the foster parents are through the process. There was the court date where they were going to terminate the parents' rights. My husband decided to go. And it ended up being really great because he got to meet both biological mom and dad and vice versa. Once they knew that their son was with somebody who truly loved him and cared for his best, they were a lot more willing to sort of submit to the process themselves and not fight it because... They ultimately wanted what was best for Brendan also. I mean, there were tears and there were, it was really amazing actually not knowing either of the birth parents before this date for them to to see my husband and trust him and know that Brendan was in a safe and good place. And now for Missy's, could you not? Somewhere along the way, I picked up a, article. Somebody had written, if you wouldn't say it about a woman's boob job, don't say it about their child. Like you wouldn't say, hey, where did you get those? Because that's what people say when you're holding a child that maybe looks different than you. Hey, where'd you get that? Like you just went to the store and bought it or something. Or, Or you wouldn't say to a woman who had a boob job, Oh, aren't you worried you're going to have problems with those things? You wouldn't say that to someone. So why would you say that about someone's child? Hey, aren't you worried about all the things that could be wrong with them? So, Missy, what should they say or do instead? 
I will say I laugh about it, but I don't think anybody said anything too hurtful. I feel like we are pretty open and sharing. I'm pretty open to people asking. I think the biggest thing is ask with a humbleness where you're willing to learn. I don't like when people come at it just, oh, well, this is a case and this was the case for this person. So it must be the same for you. It's not. (laughs) One of the funnier things is that I substitute teach and Brendan's actually had a a much harder time as he's gotten older with a, a lot of things. The last few years have been some of our hardest years. And some of it, I think, is adoption-related. I think it's trauma-based, maybe, and the fight-or-flight business that happens in their brain. I think some of it is because he was exposed to the things he was exposed to in utero. I think I didn't really understand how that affected his whole neurological system. And so we've really struggled with school and social situations for him and we've been getting counseling but uh one little girl said well did you know he would be so naughty when you got him and I said no I didn't know that he would be so challenging but did your mom know you would be so naughty when she had you and she laughed I'm like oh I said all kids have naughty days like it's okay and I said it's not just because of his adoption story And even if we would have known, we probably still would have adopted him because that's just what you do. Your biological children or your adopted children have some naughty days and naughty years and naughty habits and things about them. And then some kids, like I think I've had to train kids and parents alike to be like, I mean, yeah, we're his real parents. We're his parents forever. But he has other people in his life as well. I think it's just training people maybe in the right way to approach it. So I don't have a problem kind of correcting people and saying, well, actually, let me tell you the best way to say that would be this. Not like they mean harm. I think people have a genuine interest. Brendan looks a lot like us, so it's not the first thing people notice, say, when we're out at Target. But he's got really bright blue eyes, and people will every now and then be like, do those come from you or from your husband? They must come from your husband. And if I don't know them and they're a stranger, I'll just think, yep. But if it's somebody I know, I'll say, oh, well, actually, they come from his birth father and we've adopted him. And then I'll say, oh, really? I had no idea. And then I'll get to say, yeah, it's something we're really excited about. And he's excited about it. It's something really special in his life. She and her husband have such a healthy take on all of this. I asked her what advice she would give or does give to anyone pursuing fostering or adopting. You know, early on in our adoption journey, we had a phone call about a little girl that we thought might be ours and that didn't end up being the case. We had another phone call about a private adoption, but the mom did not choose us. We had another phone call about a sibling set. And there were some situations we were really comfortable with and some that we weren't. And I think that I've given that advice to people who are interested that it's okay to say no to a situation that maybe doesn't fit your family's needs. So that was big for me to understand and be willing to do and to be willing to kind of let go of the other ones like we were talking about at the beginning, just realizing that those children weren't supposed to be our forever children. I think we just went into it with an openness and 
I think it didn't matter to us what agency or route we took because God already knew who was supposed to be with us, who needed us and who we needed. I also asked her what surprised her most during their journey. I think I didn't realize how long we would have certain challenges. And these challenging behaviors, I guess, are not uncommon to adopted children. They're not always the case, but we're in a support group now and, you know, similar stories all around the circle of helping children through really the emotional stress, I guess, of all of that change. So I guess my encouragement would be for people to be willing to do it and then be willing to continue to get help year after year because it is a long journey. And it doesn't end with the finalization date. It sort of just begins there. Just like parenting doesn't end when you go to the hospital to have your baby. It begins there. I think we naively believed because we got him so young and loved him so much, everything was just going to be peachy. And... It hasn't been. It's been very hard. You know, like my other kids, I could send to sit in the corner, but for some reason, being alone is really hard for him. Stuff like that. He has a higher need for touch. Things like that that have been surprising to me. I mean, it's been really hard, actually, to talk to different pediatricians and counselors and people. (laughs) And we went through the whole process of getting him tested for ADHD and autism spectrum and this, that, and the other to try to land on kind of what his diagnosis might be so that then we could go through the whole process with our school to get him the support he needed there. We went to an occupational therapist, psychologist, and, you know, we finally landed on maybe some diagnosis. And I think I was so anti my kid being labeled something, but now I want to label. I want to label so he can get the help he needs, so he can get the services he he deserves so that he can thrive. So if you're going to label him anxiety, fine. If that means that it's okay for him to hide in a table in the classroom and get, get an aid, great. Let's call him that because that's what he needs right now. And apparently it's really hard for him to sit at a table in the circle with people he might not trust. And I think I didn't realize that attachment order, I just thought, oh, he's so attached. He wants to sleep with us and touch me all night. Well, what's part of this? That is part of it is that anxiousness that if he's away from me for a second, the sky might fall and cross him. He literally won't go in another room. So we're just starting to come out of that fog that's lasted for a very long time of anger and anxiety. So I think we're starting to get somewhere. Wow. I feel like Missy was talking about our middle little. Everything she said there was almost exactly what we've been going through here at my home. So I understand the challenges and they are great, no doubt. But loving this child was super easy. I don't know why anybody would think it would be hard. Loving him was no different than loving my others. Honestly, I love him just the same. I think for me, it helped me. I don't even know the reference for the Bible verse, but it's that God places the lonely in families 
and it helped me remember that ultimately it was his placement, his plan. It was his job to help connect us to the child who was supposed to be ours. It wasn't my push or the system's push. It was, it's all based on his plan. feels good to think back about our journey because we definitely have been on the other side of adoption for a while, but it's still, you know, a part of who he is and who we are as a family. Thank you so much, Missy, for sharing your story with us today. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Once again, you can find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast or on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can also email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave a comment or have a question about anything, you can leave a message by calling 720-722-2839. And again, you may hear your question answered on the show. The theme song, Forever Home, was written and produced by David Other. Find him on Facebook or at davidother.com. Artwork, production, and editing of this show is done by me, Amber Way. Tune in next time for another unique story. And please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. If you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends about it and please rate and review me on iTunes, hopefully with five stars. And as you go through your day, your week, or your year, remember, a life changed is worth it, even if only one. Goodbye.